This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joar, and today is Wednesday, December 7th, 2022, and I have the awesome John Redinger here. Hi, John. How are you? Hey, Miriam. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me back. I was checking. It's been almost exactly two years since I was last on. Yeah, it's been a little while, but Ian, I appreciate you being here. And uh, we're going to talk about some mobile news and some uh, some car stuff because, you know, you and I are kind of like big EV nerds. Oh, and yeah. I think there's a lot of folks in the audience that are also on board here. Yeah, I think it's going to be great. So starting with some interesting, like, I was just like, Moto sometimes just really surprises me in the weirdest <laughs> ways. Like, oh, yes, they're always full of surprises. But um, Moto announced that they're bringing one of their best phones of 2022. One's, it's like forbidden fruit for us. The <laughs> Moto Edge 30 Fusion, which is sold in the rest of the world as one of the yep. highest end flagships. Short of getting the Ultra, which I think has a 200 megapixel camera, this is the one to get. And they're bringing this as a limited edition to the US, like right now, unlocked. Unlocked. Like, in a, in a pretty awesome like pink color it's coming in too, right? Yeah, so that's the other thing. You know, okay, so of all the Magenta partnerships you could think of, what would your first thought be of a Magenta yeah, partnership? It, it, it's T-Mobile, of course. Of course, right? Yeah. So, no, this is Pantone. <laughs> and apparently this was announced at Art Basel in Florida, and it's like a special Pantone edition color, and it's a pretty high-end spec, like lots of RAM, lots of storage. And, you know, it's just they're going all out. And it's going to be six ninety nine. So that's pretty, or $7.99 or $6.99. I think it depends on whether yeah. you had the uh, buds or not. There's some yeah, matching exactly. buds. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'm actually excited about this because, like, not to be mean to Moto, but phones have been a little boring. I don't know if you've been paying attention, but, eh, you know, I mean, they had the Edge Plus this year that was actually pretty decent. And I feel like this is kind of like them finally, like, ha- giving a hat tip to the fans, you know, in the US. It's, it's a solid phone. I mean, so it's I'm looking at the specs. It's Snapdragon 888, 12 gigs of RAM. Uh, this version, though, does kind of has a 1080p OLED display, which I guess for a sub $1,000 price is probably OK. Uh, four, uh, 1,400, excuse me, uh, 144 uh, hertz refresh rate, which is awesome. And a pretty beastly 4,400 million power battery is really nice. I know, like you look at the specs and it's a like, pretty respectable phone, right? It's not like it's not bad in a 98 or a 68 watt wired charging. I mean, this is a it's a really good part of it. Can I even call that a mid range phone? I guess at that price, it's like a top yeah, end. I, th- I think it's yeah, I think a premium rate ranger is how I see it because of the year yeah. old chip. Right. But oh, two years old now, whatever. But the point is, like, this is going to kick ass. And I love the color. You can't complain about that. So overall, I think this is a this is a this is a pretty decent. This is pretty good. I'm pretty I have happy a, with I have it. A, I have a love-hate relationship with, uh, with Motorola. Uh, long, long time ago, in the very, very early days, they uh, <laughs> back end tried to sue me before they, before they sold and all that kind of stuff. So I, I have to always push that away whenever I talk, whenever I talk about anything Motorola. <laughs> well, that's fair. But like, I just was like, first of all, this came out of nowhere, and this phone is actually decent, and it's been out for a bit in the rest of the world. And I was like, 
this is a nice gift to your loyal fans who are expecting you to bring us the good stuff and that, you know, without Verizon's meddling, which has been oh, the yeah. case. And don't get me wrong, like, they have been listening to us. Like, they flew us out to Chicago a couple of times, had, like, little focus groups with us, the media, and said, hey, what can we do better? And we really laid it on them, right? We were like, you got to stop making these you know, kind of scaled down version of your awesome international phones for, but scaled down because Verizon's telling you to cut stuff out, right? Like it, you just can't do that. And so they've, they've done better, but this, this is, this is the one, if you're a Moto super fan, this is the one to get in North America right now. So when, when Miriam says she laid into them, you guys might not know this. I've been in briefings. <laughs> I've been in briefings with Miriam. Oh my God. And, uh, I've seen it happen and uh, does not hold back. I mean, somebody's got to do it, right? Somebody's definitely, definitely got to do it. So, I mean, the reality is, uh, you know, I'm excited about this one. I'm get, I might get a review in it. That's basically it for this part. Um, they also announced a phone. Well, technically, it's going to be announced, but you know, when the podcast gets published, it'll be it'll be live. The new Moto G Play, which is the kind of the yep. cheapest phones. I don't know if you've noticed, but they've kind of gotten rid of the Moto E series, and the Gs yep. are now very broad range from like one sixty to three hundred, even more. Which and which is nuts. This is a hundred and seventy dollar phone. Yeah, this is like a very basic, very similar to that to that uh, Nokia that you that you uh, did a video on a little while back. Yep. And and I think, you know, it's not for us, right? Like, I mean, the specs are like, but I think it needs to exist because for some people, 100%. they need a phone that is a US, like has all the bands and works well and does the basics and costs very little. And this is it, right? $170 for basically, you know, 720p display, LCD, three gigs of RAM, 32 gigs of storage, but it's got a micro SD and you're going to get like a basic camera system, 16 megapixel. You know, nothing too crazy, but I bet you it's going to be okay. And a Helio MediaTek 4G chip. So there you go. That's basically it. They have 90 hertz display. You're right. Phones like that do need to exist. Um, there's a large market for people who just need that smartphone to enter that space. A lot of uh, emerging markets. I think the lower end these can go, uh, obviously, always the better. Yeah, I think the challenge has always been that if you look at what India and China market brings to the table at that price point. It's always so much better than the TCLs and the Motos and the Nokias that we get here. So, you know, this is not changing that trend, but I'm just saying like, ultimately, you're not going to give somebody on prepaid a Redmi or a Realme or whatever phone at $200 because the bands yeah. are just not going to work, right? Even if they're tech savvy, they're not going to be happy. So you, we do need these phones because some people just can't afford anything better and they need, why shouldn't they have a good experience of some kind? And Moto mm-hmm. software is so clean that I think in general, it's like Nokia, right? No crud, no clutter. It's nice. You get get a nice experience it's not going to be the fastest not going to be the best but i think it's going to get the job done so yeah there you go we've got another moto g play for 2023 announced in 2022 the exactly same thing they did last year or last year's model so anyway this kind of segues that into some other phone news did you yes. see this news about oneplus and software updates i like this one so four years of software updates so by my keen math uh, the OnePlus 11 will live to see Android 17, which is, yeah, it's not it's, it's not Samsung level of support, but it's still pretty impressive. You know, what I like about this is that they're kind of 
you know, putting themselves out there saying we're committing to this. Now they kind of have to stick with it. Hopefully they yeah. will, because otherwise, man, the backlash. But at the same time, if you look at which phones, it's basically just the flagships. Like you're not even getting this on, def- definitely not on the N series, the North American Nords yeah. that are affordable, uh, that T-Mobile is a big fan of selling. And honestly, that are pretty great for the price. But I think this is, you're looking at just, as you said, the 11 that's upcoming, the yeah. 10, the nine, you know. I, I love talking OnePlus and software because it's always something strange, right? Like the original OnePlus was Cyanogen. Um, you know, it's true, we had, right? We forgot. And then we had Oxygen OS, which was like pretty much everybody loved. Uh, and then like this weird, strange merger with like Color OS and like it wasn't great. Like there's always something to talk about with OnePlus. Uh, and software but at the very least if you are buying one of their flagship phones it would rest easy um you know for four years at least you get security updates and new os updates yeah and i think that's that's big news because for a while there it looked like you know with this opification of oneplus that we were kind of starting yeah that's what i've been calling like it the opification um the the pete laoification of oneplus uh i mean look it's i personally don't mind because the hardware is still pretty great. The software is not as good as Oxygen OS was when it wasn't based on ColorOS. But yeah. ColorOS itself has gotten so much better. And if you look at the entire lineup of software choices in the BBK group, you know, I think that obviously OnePlus is the least offensive of the ColorOS <laughs> versions. ColorOS, <laughs> right? Well, I mean, like, I know exactly what you mean. You're right. It it is the least offensive. Right. I mean, it's. They're, they're actually all pretty decent. Like I used an Oppo phone as my main phone briefly um, yeah. just because I wanted to see would it be possible to live with a flagship that's not meant for the US in the US. And with Timo and the 5G support, it actually worked out just fine. But I had ColorOS on the Oppo Find X3 Pro when I used it as my daily for a little bit, and that was fine. So I think it's gotten better. And even Realme, their um, Realme UI, essentially a ColorOS-based a variation yeah. as well and then you have of course vivo is doing probably the, the the most kind of like for our taste unfriendly version of <laughs> you know the os but it's not core os that's the thing vivo is kind of doing its own thing both in hardware and software because they're not really under the oppo kind of yeah. umbrella so they they have a little variation for a long time it was called fun touch it was yeah. that was a little weird uh i think they changed the name of it now but anyway vivo has been interesting like i feel like they came up in the u.s with like they always had something new remember they were the first ones that had the in-display fingerprint reader the first ones that had a pop-up selfie camera I feel like they've always tried new things on the on the hardware front so i give them credit for that yeah yeah and i'm hoping that you know this one plus 11 that's coming um, whether it's an 11, 11 Pro, whatever, their flagship for next year, hopefully, you know, delivers the goods. I felt like these phones have been solid, the 9 and the 10, well, the 9 Pro and 10 Pro, but I feel like they haven't been as competitive because Samsung's really been pushing hard. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of like the fans, I think, need a bit more attention and love in, in this market. And so I'm hoping this announcement is kind of like the kind of the prequel to some exciting news on the hardware front with the 11 this year or next I mean, I year, that, I should that, say. I think that's that's fair. OnePlus phones have always been they've always done things really well, but been missing like one key thing. Either the phone's great, but the screen sucks or the screen's now good, but the camera sucks or now the camera's good, but the software yeah. sucks. Like, there's always like one thing 
that's been deficient <laughs> with them. Like always just one. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? Like I think the the OnePlus 7 Pro was kind of like the pinnacle of the most well-balanced phone they ever did at the time. Yeah. And then of course, you know, that was still the real Oxygen OS. That was like the I think the pinnacle. Yep. You know, nowadays that phone is obsolete, right? But I think that they did it for a brief time there where you could say, okay, you you you've you've nailed it, OnePlus. But now it's like this opification has made things complicated, is the word. Or yeah. or you know, yeah, it's it's not terrible by any means, but it's just not optimal. And I'm kind of hoping that, you know, it's funny to me that Google of all companies is kind of the third player to look out for nowadays in the phone market yep. in North America. Like, how is that even possible after years and years of messing things up all the time? I mean, I'm a longtime Nexus and Pixel user. That's what I have in my pocket right now, 7 Pro. But at the point is that I've often done it kind of begrudgingly, right? Because sometimes like, I was just like, oh, come on, Google. And I kind of feel that way about OnePlus right now. But then I look at Google's portfolio, I'm like, they've nailed it with the six and seven in the last two years, Absolutely. right? So if they can do it, come on, Oppo's gonna be able to do this. Oppo's gonna be able to bring us a OnePlus phone to North America that just is as price competitive to the pixels as good spec-wise and software-wise. That's what I'm saying. I think ultimately we'll get there, but Google's control <laughs> now over their full stack is, you can't touch that by just making software. It's so good. It's so yeah. good right now. The only thing that I wish is it wasn't Tensor. Like, I'm not on board on Tensor. It's good, but it's not great. We're, get, we're getting, getting there, um, yeah. I think. I think we, it's interesting you compare, like, Tensor. We talk, like, Samsung for a minute. And I'm talking just, like, on the camera side. When Samsung started letting Qualcomm's processor do a lot of the photo processing for them, you saw the pictures get incredible, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, it was a very clear, like, generational change. And then you see what Google's doing, Tensor, and handling that sort of on device. It's just, I am always in awe of on the processor side what can be done with cameras. And I think if you look at a company like Oppo that generally just throws more megapixels at a problem, and a company like Google that's thrown more software, software yeah. at a mm -hmm. problem, um, it's going to be interesting when those two meet. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's kind of starting to happen because Google's put, you know, finally, in the same way as Apple with their 48 megapixel sensor this year on the 14 Pro, they finally are doing the pixel binning thing, doing yep. the, you know, like the optical quality zoom. All that stuff is starting to trickle down to, you know, started with Google and with Apple in, in terms of the, com the kind of best, best combination of best hardware and best software together. And now it's going to come back to the Chinese makers because they know how critical it is. They've been doing the hardware great for years, right? The big sensors, the yep. fast lenses, the in-body stabilization, like the Find X5 Pro from Oppo last year was the only Android phone ever made with in-body stabilization. You know, and Apple's been doing that for how long now? Like two generations at least. So it's interesting. But um, look, I'm... I'm excited to see this announcement of the software because it tells me that maybe, maybe, just maybe, Oppo's paying attention to specifically their OnePlus fan base, you know? Listen, I, I agree. I think what we're going to see next, the next big thing and who's going to bring it uh, will be Periscope cameras. So whether or not we see that oh, yeah. kind of come, you know, that seems like a flagship and that seems like a really good feature for phone differentiation. Um, so I'm going to be curious to see how that, how that plays out, especially if the rumors of Apple going that direction. 
for next gen phones tend to uh, tend to play out. Apple has to, you know, at this point. It's like it's just I feel like they're so behind on on that. And and they were so behind. Like actually it's funny because the 48 megapixel thing they did this year is good, but it's yeah. Yeah. what we really need and, and I mentioned this on last week's podcast that rumor that they're working with Sony on a really large sensor like yep. that uh, the the 989 that's coming to a bunch of Chinese phones this year, like some Xiaomi phones, some Apple phones. That sensor is a one-inch sensor, like a true one-inch sensor. It's already in one phone, a Xiaomi 12S Ultra. And I've taken photos with it, and it, it's DSLR grade. It's like the depth of field is so incredibly creamy and delicious and so natural. <laughs> and it's, it's just beautiful. You shoot with it, and you're like, the detail in the, in the hair of people, it's all there. And it's all there because the optics are so much better and because you got these gigantic pixels to capture the whole thing. It's just so nice. So if Apple can do that with Sony next year and then add a Periscope telephoto, I kind of feel that, you know, with this uh, lack of uh, production right now on the 14 Pro and the waiting there is, you might be better off waiting for the 15 Pro, folks. (laughs) I hate to say that, but... (laughs) Like, I think Sony as a company is kind of a mess aside from PlayStation, but their sensor business and their camera business... Oh, my God. Unbelievable. Unparalleled. Unparalleled. Absolutely. And I think there's another thing that I like about them is that their phones are really well-rounded, even though they yeah. don't have the latest computational stuff and they cost a lot of money. There's, they've kind of created a niche. They've created this weird, crazy niche. And unlike LG and HTC, who went running with their tail between their legs and said, we can't afford to do this. Sony's like, screw this. Our TVs will subsidize this forever. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> and, and, and I love the ballsiness of that. I love the fact that they stuck with it. I wish HTC had done the same. I wish, I wish that LG particularly, remember when they had that rollable phone in mm-hmm. production, they yep. should have at least shipped the thing as a final hooray or something. What it's- the hell were they thinking? Instead, we got the wing as the uh, the final. Well, hurrah. the wing was cool, but the point is that 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 the, the that's what I wanted from LG. Stop making the cheap stuff. Just use the washing machines and the dryers and the TVs <laughs> to just subsidize your mobile business and give us some niche products that are just ridiculously cool. Just do that for a few years, and that way you stay relevant, right? It's funny you talk about a company that used to do things differently, used to sort of buck the trends and give people what they wanted, even if that market was smaller. That's OnePlus. That's what OnePlus used to be. Correct. And, you know, I kind of always joke about this, but t- today, if you look at the BBK universe, Realme is the new OnePlus. Like, they make all these bonkers phones that are really affordable, have great specs. They're not really like, OnePlus just doesn't seem to be trying as hard. So we'll see how it goes with this. But you know who is trying hard? And I love that it's kind of related trying to real this- hard. Yeah, I love it's kind of related to BBK Group because, well, Carl Pei used to be a OnePlus co-founder and he now runs nothing. And the (laughs) exciting news is he went, uh, I don't know, on some show recently and and actually said, yeah, we're working with the carriers in the US to bring our next phone here to this market. And I know obviously my audience is international, but, you know, those of you in the UK and India right now who can buy the Nothing Phone 1, I played with it for a week and I love that phone. It is one of the most well-balanced phones if you take away the gimmicks like the the glyphs and the lights on the back just looking at the specs and the price point everything is kind of perfectly good not great 
but good. And and they didn't make one thing better or anything. And then they added the gimmicks on top of that and they sold it for 450. I'm on board and I want to see something like that for the North American market, but I'm a little scared about what the carriers are going to do it, John. Oh, the carriers are going to kill it. They're yeah, but kill that's it and bad take it so far it's downstream as to be nothing left. But then it's going to be a complete disaster because then nobody's it's not going to be successful because it's going to suck. Do you think that manufacturers still have to go through carriers no. in the US? Well, in the US, yes. I mean, for my audience, tech savvy early adopters, for the sure. folks that you know watch some of your videos, I think no. But I feel like there's a lot of mom and pops out there who you know, right now might still walk into a T-Mobile store and buy a OnePlus. You know what I'm saying? Because there's a 10T or a 10 Pro in the corner and it looks cool and they want it. But but nothing, how, how are you going to, how are you going to, I don't know, like it. So to me, like, I almost feel like if they can somehow like do the Steve Jobs distortion, reality distortion thing and and talk them into just leaving it alone then it might be cool. But if they start having the, especially like Verizon, like I think T-Mobile would be pretty chill about the things and say, yeah, yep. you can do what you want. But the other two, I don't even trust for a second to not ruin this thing. I was, I was going to say, if it comes to T-Mobile, we'll be fine. If it comes to Verizon, they'll have a Verizon logo. You know, the glyphs will be the shape of the big V on the back. Oh my God. Oh my <laughs> God, it stop, to- stop it, stop it. And I'm it comes totally, to AT&T, I it'll be so pared down. I have an imagination, John, and I'm imagining this right now, and it's painful. Don't you remember, oh. what was it, the Note, the Note 2, where they slapped the tramp stamp on the home button? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was so angry. <laughs> I was so angry that day. I just paced around my office, mumbling oh. at myself like an old person. It was ridiculous. It was a joke. Oh, God, so bad. They did so much of that. And remember the droid branding and this, even the oh, stupid everywhere. ads. Droid. Right. Oh, you and I, we should write a book sometime. <laughs> we got About stories to tell. Days. We got some stories to tell. Oh, God. I love how you've been recapping some of your crazy stories on your <laughs> videos lately. That's been super entertaining to watch, dude. I, I appreciate it. It's like, I, I got nothing to, nothing to lose. You know, nothing to hide anymore. No, of course. Um, it's yeah. been fun to finally share those stories. <laughs> right on. All right. The next thing I have is kind of unrelated to any phones, but what a great idea this is. Great, but also like, I hate to say Oof. this, don't get me wrong, folks, but it's very Chinese, but awesome. That Huawei made a watch, apparently, this is, this is a leak, that you, you just lift the bezel and it stores earbuds, true wireless <laughs> earbuds in the watch. And I'm like, of course you do that. Like I told my spouse, Theo, about that. And they're like, my God, this is fantastic. This is great. And you see, so the less techie people are kind of already excited about this because you know why? Because they always lose their buds or their I case, mean, right? But let me ask you, let me ask you, Samir, if there's one thing you could say about your smartwatches, if there's one thing you could say, you could probably say battery life is not great, right? No. So now you're taking the battery life and it's got to charge <laughs> yes. a pair of earbuds. Okay. So now the thing you have to understand, this is a Huawei watch. You know, the, the ones that have two week battery life to start with. So I think that yeah. even if you lose like three days of battery life because you have buds to charge in there, I think it's going to be OK. Because, you know, that that real time OS, it's really lightweight. Essentially, it's yeah. a it's a fitness band on steroids with a watch face and a bigger battery. Right. Like, but are people going to buy this? Like, like in China, in, like, like, like it was interesting. But would like they actually buy that? Like, would they give money for this or just like, oh, it's cool that it exists? Uh, undetermined. I think China would buy this. <laughs> I think that, 
either way, though, it's like Samsung when they did the Note and they did the Galaxy phone, right? Like some things stuck, some things yeah. didn't stick, right? So right. this, who knows? This might just stick at least in some markets. But you're right about you know the battery life. If if this was running Wear OS or something, I'd be very concerned. But it's not. It's running, you know, whatever their the GT line of their watches yeah. is running, which I've used. I love them because they last two weeks on a charge, and they're good fitness trackers overall. So you get all the basic functionality. You get your notifications. You know, you get your sleep tracking and all that stuff. It's fine. But it's kind of a crazy idea, and I kind of love it. And I had to cover it just for that. <laughs> I mean, it's a quirky, weird thing, which is, I mean, it's fun that this exists. I mean, I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, I mean, check it out, folks. It's just kind of, you look at it and you're like, these earbuds look really small too. Like they were, <laughs> they'd be lost in my ear canal. Like, yeah, like because you have to of a put, watch. I know because you have to put bigger silicone tips and then I does mean, it still fit in the watch? So many questions. So for, for those that are subscribed to Miriam on Patreon, you can see this video here. Have you seen my new watch here? So check it out. I just, I opened it up. And I've yeah, got look at of, that. Pair, pair of buds in there. Samsung it's, you know. buds. It, you, you just blended a Samsung buds with, a, with an Apple Watch. <laughs> yeah, this Apple is watch heresy. <laughs> it's like the people are going to lose their heresy. Minds. I'm making peace. I'm yes, a peacemaker. You are. You are. You're a peacemaker. Uh, you always have been, John. <laughs> yeah, folks, thanks for mentioning the Patreon. If you are not listening to the very end of the show where I give you all the, the little stuff like how to subscribe and all that, there's a Patreon. And it's, if you want to support me, go there. Patreon.com slash TNKGRL, like Tank Girl, drop all the vowels. And, and uh, you can get a video version of the show. You get it ahead of the audio version. So, you know, you can get it before. Sometimes I leave extra content when I run over time. So it's kind of fun. And then there's other stuff. There's a Discord server you can join and stuff. So consider it. Anyway, the next thing I have is kind of interesting. I don't want to dwell too much on it, but TSMC has been building a factory, right? Yep. And here in, in Arizona, where I am right now, because I'm in Phoenix, and it's going to be making four nanometer Apple Silicon chips. And that's exciting to me because I'm always worried, like TSMC is incredible as a company. They're really the leader in the world right now in terms of fab, in terms of manufacturing chips. They beat everyone else, even Samsung in terms of, we've seen that. The Snapdragon 8 Plus Gen 1 is a better chip than the 8 Gen 1, mostly because of the fab process, right? So, wow. Um, now, they're a Taiwanese company and all their factories are in China. Most of the factories are in China. And so obviously it's been an issue because, you know, politics and world economics and all that. So I'm excited and encouraged to see that they built the factory. They're now, it's going to take them a couple of years to get it online because they need to like put all the crazy expensive gear in there to build yeah. chips to make chips. But it's kind of cool to see that Apple and others, there's not just Apple in this analysis, NVIDIA and others are going to be using this fab uh, to get their chips made in the US here so that if we have another situation like COVID where supply chains are disrupted, we, we hopefully now have another location in the world where these chips can be made. You know, it doesn't matter to me that it's the US, I'm not one of those rah, 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 patriotic persons, but if this was in Europe, I'd be happy to. It's just, we need diversification of the supply chain. And to me, this is exactly what this is. And this is good, you know? I completely agree. Um, I love that it's uh, US-based. And what your yeah, point it's about, nice that it's US-based. Your, your point about we saw during the pandemic and the over-reliance on microprocessors and what happens when that supply chain gets constrained. Uh, you know, you can still see it now. So the more places 
that you have to get these out, um, the better. Yeah, absolutely. And so this is good. And on top of that, you know, if you, if I put my my U.S. citizen hat on, this is good for the U.S. This is good for our yeah, economy. Yeah, it's great. You know, it's, it's awesome. It's great. So can't complain. So that's another thing that's happened this week. And the last thing before we jump into talking of iPads and Surface Pros and Teslas and EVs is Boost Infinite Beta. So Dish Wireless, oh, this is so complicated. Good luck explaining this one. I need Sasha Segan to come in for a second, like with (laughs) like a little, you know, a little picture in picture explainer. But basically Boost acquired some spectrum during the T-Mobile Sprint merger. That's... And in order to acquire the Spectrum, they had to guarantee that they were going to be using for a mobile service. And so they are long, they've been working on launching this Boost Infinite postpaid wireless service. And it's been a little rocky. There was a Verge article that wasn't the most wonderful about it. But the point is, I want to give them a chance. You know, it's really hard to make a mobile network from scratch. And they're oh. kind of doing that right now. So give them a break. Ultimately, what's exciting about you, the audience, the early adopters and tech-savvy folk in North America and the U.S. here, is that you will be able to sign up to a beta very soon for $25 a month and take it for a spin. It's a killer, That's it's a killer a deal. deal. That's a, a really deal. good deal. Now, will it be as good as Timo or Verizon or AT&T? That's not the point. The point is, this is a SIM you're going to get as your second SIM for your second phone to try it out, just like you would get with Mint Mobile, for example, or something. And you might be very happy with it, depending on what market you're in. So I say, you know, competition is a good thing. I'm excited about this simply because it's affordable. And they're kind of letting us, in a way, beta test it, which is, you know, fair. Right? For that price, yeah. I guess. I don't know. So there you go, folks. The cell carrier stuff is getting interesting. We actually just switched at our studio to using T-Mobile, T-Mobile's uh, business internet, where it's essentially just a hotspot. I think it's a big hotspot. Yeah, it's yeah. I've used it. It's really good, right? 50 bucks a month for unlimited data is and it's reliable. Like for me, it worked really well. Like it wasn't the fastest, but it had like I had zero downtime. I could do like all day long Zoom calls with not dropping a. Yeah, it it's, it's really great. impressive. For, for those that aren't uh, in the business side, businesses get a horrible end of the uh, broadband spectrum. Like business internet just costs five, six a times what know. residential internet costs. I think we were paying something like $400 for 120. So 100 down, 20 up. We weren't even getting those speeds. You know, maybe we'd get half of those if we were lucky. Wow. Now it's crazy. 50 bucks a month, we're getting 600 down. Yeah. And between 100 and 200 up. Now, I do have to reset the little router thing every couple of days. Maybe just unplug it, plug it back in again. But it has been so worth it. Uh, and you kind of get a glimpse of the future, right? Like when you have the bandwidth and you have the speed, um, it's awesome. So I think when you see things like this Boost Infinite and you see the carrier sort of pushing sort of broadband to the business side. I think it represents something pretty big in the future. Again, I love the idea of competition and more choices. And so I'll, I'm going to take this for a spin app. They've actually offered to send me a SIM to try out. So I'm going to let you guys know in a future show what it's like. And it's actually funny because I think this is a market that I'm in right now. Phoenix. It's, it's, uh, it's worth it. It's a little confusing if you qualify. You have to call and make sure your address works. But when, once they confirm the address... You can literally just move the thing anywhere you want. So yeah, do with exactly. that information. Right. Do with that information what you will. Indeed. All right. So let's talk about this video you just made, your last video, which yes. I thought was really 
really interesting because this is Thank a you. this is a power comparison, man. Like, yeah. I'm surprised yeah. I haven't seen more of this. Like, you nailed it by choosing this topic because Thank this you. is a kind of almost an existential comparison. Like the iPad M2 Pro, right? Versus the Surface 9 Pro. And of course, this was the Intel, correct, that you compared? Yeah. Yes, yeah, the, right. the Intel version. So so here we have like Intel versus Apple Silicon. We have Windows versus, you know, iPad OS, which is still not as pickup truck heavy duty as Mac OS, but definitely at the SUV level now of, of operating <laughs> systems. It's more than a car, right? It's more yeah. than a car. It's more than your lightweight phone or the original iPad or even the iPad from five years ago. Yeah. Um, so what's your takeaway? Like, what were your pros and cons where where did you end up with this so like this was an interesting video to make and it kind of it came out of a discussion that we had in the studio i think we didn't want to make a video people already know right you're already an apple ecosystem you want an ipad to watch movies on you can get an ipad anyway but like what about those people that really don't necessarily have an allegiance and are being led to believe an m2 ipad pro is a computer so for those folks so for those folks it makes sense to compare with something that already is a computer first and probably a tablet second, which is the opposite way that the iPad goes, right? It's a tablet first and a computer second. So we want to sort of just compare a, a business use case, a personal use case, a school use case for how you would use these two, these two devices. And I was reminded going back to the Surface line, first of all, how incredible Microsoft's hinges are on their devices, whether you <laughs> want to buy a Surface or you have no interest in it. Uh, their hinges are unbelievable, which is a weird thing to praise. But when you use one of these devices and you realize how important a hinge can be for your lap, for a table, and then with universal viewing angles, almost you can put it at any angle you want. That alone became really interesting. But when you start trying to do actual work, you can see the difference. And I think it boiled down to this, and people are going to have to answer, answer this question for themselves. Are you willing to change the way you work for your computer? If you're willing to change the way you work, you'll find a workaround for anything you want on your iPad. Right. Right. Yeah. But you have to to change what you're going to do because it's still a bit limited. Or do you want your computer to have to change for you? And in that case, that's where the power you see of Windows 11 and the Surface Pro 9 really shines through. And I think that's a question people have to ask themselves. I think for most people who just want one device to do everything, uh, the Surface Pro 9 is probably a better choice. If you just want to kick back and watch some videos and occasionally do some work, the M2 iPad Pro or the M1 iPad Pro, with really very little difference, uh, is, a, is still a very solid choice. Do you think that we've seen iPad OS evolve drastically, as I said, becoming an SUV, coming closer to the yeah. pickup truck? Slowly. Think, yeah, do you think we're going to see more of that? Do you think that is going to be a place in, like, where you can start, cons- for most people, I, still, I don't think that's true yet. If you're a Mac user, you're not going to be satisfied with an iPad Pro right now. No. But I feel like, do you think we're going to get to a point where that might happen? I mean, there were rumors of a Mac OS Lite. You remember these? Oh, yeah. Earlier, earlier in the year, that was ultimately going to be, I don't know if it's going to be a dual boot kind of thing, or that's going to be what iPad OS ultimately turns into. Uh, I think that's a sweet spot. When you see how just nuts powerful the M2 chip is, or the M1 chip for that matter, is so incredibly powerful. And to go back to your car oh, analogy, to your car analogy, you've got a, you've got a supercar that you can't you can't get out of third gear. You know, what, <laughs> yeah. Like, what's the point? You have so much power to watch. That's a YouTube, great analogy. You know, 
You have so yeah, much power totally. to, I don't know, go on Safari? Like, <laughs> literally on a Mac. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Safari. I mean, so you're, you're, seeing, you're seeing these things like DaVinci <laughs> is coming and you're seeing these pro apps start to come, but until it becomes easier to like go into a files app and, and those kind of things, it's, it's just not going to be a computer. Apple has every single ingredient to bake a just badass computer cake out of the iPad. And I hope they do. And I hope they do because everything is there for them to just crush the competition. But until that happens, Surface Pro line is still a really good merger of the computer and tablet just on the opposite end of what Apple's trying to do. I agree with you 100%. Yeah. You know, for me, I'm on a MacBook Air M2 here. And Man, that thing is just, it's almost too powerful. I don't need that much power, 90% of the time. Yeah. Like, if I'm editing video, like a bunch of 4K streams, yeah, then I need that power. But, like, most of the time, it's complete overkill. I've never felt like that about a computer before. I've always picked the cheaper, not cheaper, but the lighter, at least, Macs, because I had a, an original MacBook 12-inch, the super light yeah. and thin one, you know, I had, you know, the MacBook Air, the first one. Like, I've always been more on the Air and then the Pro simply because I want the light and then and thin. And I, I'm at the point where I, I'm, I'm satisfied. Like, uh, this is it. Like, I don't need, I don't need more. I can do everything. Yeah, that computer is like an is like an SD card reader away from being like the absolute most perfect computer ever made. <laughs> there you go. I kind of agree with you. I, I think I think it's it's uh, remarkable because I you know I went to an M1 Air and then to the M2 Air only mostly because of the camera, which you can see me look right now, yeah. folks. If you're watching on video, look at how good I'm in low light in a hotel room and look at how good my face looks because of this better ISP and stuff. So you know other things that surprised you. I mean, obviously there are some things that I like you would going into it would expect like the, the surface is a better computer, right? Yeah. But you know, how does it fare? Because it's Intel based, right? And Intel yep. is just still not quite remotely in the same league as the M chips in terms of power efficiency, right? No, the efficiency wasn't even close. I mean, if battery life and that kind of thing, you're, you're concerned and the iPad was the way to go. It was just, it was different approaches, right? And so if I want to do work with a tablet, I think that where you, where you saw the Surface kind of extend itself. But I, I, didn't, I don't think I gave the Surface enough credit for how good a tablet it could be, too. I think mm-hmm. I always kind of sold it short as a tablet. Um, and I was really impressed. Now, you did see some of the lag stuff that you always kind of see with when you rotate the device and sometimes you go into full screen or that kind of stuff. It's not nearly right. what the iPad can do. But once it's there, it's really useful the touch sensitivity was incredible their pen is really good if you live in that pen world um i don't i'm not I don't really care one way or another about the pen or apple's pencil but if that's your jam you've got that option you have a way to store it inside of the keyboard um i came away really impressed uh with the surface pro 9 and i'm already very impressed with the ipad um but i am tough on ipad os i think that they have done everything right and then just not giving us the features or the functionality. Yeah, no, I, that's what's missing right now because the hardware is bar none, possibly the best thing they've ever done. Yeah. You know, especially cause it's got the micro LEDs and whatever, you know, on the, on the higher, higher end, um, model, right? Like the XDR display, you know, you, you, it's just like, it's just a no brainer, but the software, 
while at the same time, the Surface, it just, it gives you that full-on heavy-duty desktop experience if you want it. And at the same time, you can detach the keyboard and comfortably on your couch watch Netflix, you know, <laughs> on that on that tablet screen, right? Yes. So I'm going to I'm going to date us here for a minute. But do you remember the <laughs> Steve Jobs announcement when the switch from PowerPC to Intel? Oh, he yeah. Said the Mac, the Mac's been living a dual life. Yes. Do you remember that? What a callback that would be to see Tim Cook show up on stage and be like, the iPad's been living a dual life. Oh, yeah. Secretly oh, yeah. behind the scenes. We've given it this power. You get into performance. And now you can take advantage of it. Mac OS got, for iPad. Mac OS for iPad, Mac OS Lite, whatever they want to call it. iPad OS 20 by the time we get to that point. It'd be real awesome. <laughs> iPad uh, OS XX, you know, yeah. for like Mac yeah, OS 10. Go. Yeah, 20. I think that'd be an awesome, uh, awesome throwback to one of, the, one of the cooler Apple announcements. Just random using there. Yeah, I think that th- th- there's definitely something to be said about Apple creating an artificial division between its you know, Mac line is iPad line here that they yeah. don't have a touch screen on the Mac. Like, you know, to me, it doesn't matter because I'm a Mac user. I don't even think of touching my screen. But when I am on a Chrome machine or Windows machine, that's a laptop, not a two in one. It's nice to have the ability to just like reach out to the screen and just like scroll up really quickly and have that nice fluid experience. Absolutely. And I just don't see why they can't do it. Like this is nothing... I think it's philosophical at this point. It's almost like Intel doesn't want to make ARM chips. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they should. They really should, but they're not going to do it, right? And and I'm I'm a little bummed, but as a you know, a lot of folks don't realize, but I'm a bit of an Apple fan girl. I'm not like a iPhone and Apple Watch fan. I mean, I like them. They're really good. I recommend them, but it's not what I use daily. Like I'm more of an Android user, but in terms of app, I've always been an Apple person. Like I came into the Apple ecosystem through the iPod, actually. Like I used Macs at school and college when I was in school in the nineties, but it was like, I couldn't afford them. They were cool. I loved what I could do with them, but it was always like unobtainium. And then one day, you know, (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. Nice, nice the, avatar the, reference. The iPod came out and I was like, wait, I can afford this Apple product. So I went and got one and I got the PC version and I connected it. I got a little Firewire card for my for my uh, Windows machine and, and I connected it and it was a brilliant user experience. Despite the software on the PC being kind of wonky, that was before iTunes for a little while there, you had to use third party mm-hmm. software. Like I'm talking second gen iPod, the one that had the touch wheel but looked like the original had the firewall port on top and you know and from then on like it it was a gateway drug man i got i got a mac very quickly thereafter like that that worked apple totally made me go to become a mac user and you know my background as a software engineer working in video games was always either on windows or on linux right so i had a solid unix based like background and the fact that mac os is based on unix that was another really attractive thing for me is that when I finally did buy a Mac, you know, I think it was Tiger, my first Mac OS 10. I yeah. was like, oh my God, look, command line shell. It's all Unix. I know it's <laughs> all there. I know it's amazing, right? So that was cool. That was really cool for me. And that's got me down the rabbit hole. Of course, I got the first Intel Mac that I could get and et cetera, et cetera. And here I am, you know, with a MacBook Air M2 
20 years later, right? So yeah. it's kind of incredible, really. But the iPhone, of course, I bought it, lined up for it like everyone else. It was amazing. But it never really, I was a big Nokia user at the time and BlackBerry and Windows Mobile. And I was like, I love what they're doing here in terms of user experience, but I don't love the, they don't have the feature set, you know? My remember the N95 with its five megapixel camera, GPS, and everything. Like it just blew away the iPhone in terms of actual taking photos at the time. And so I couldn't. Symbian had a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff going for it. Couldn't. I just couldn't. And then when the the Droid came out, I was like, "Aha! I gotta try that out." Well, the G1 first, and then the Droid, and then of course the Nexus. And then after after that, I was a Nexus and a Pixel person. That was it. Like I never. I daily drove a few One Pluses and Samsungs here and there for a few months at a time. But if it's my daily, it's basically a Google phone for me. So. Can we just pour one out for the old Google Play Edition phones where you could get oh like my a God. Galaxy S? Oh. Like it was like the, the most perfect combination. No, no, no. Yeah. I have one. For me, the favorite one is the, was the HTC M8. HTC. Oh, yep. Google Play Edition. Bestest phone ever. It was incredible. It was incredible. It's like, here's these phones that people love just as Google intended. I know. And the, the M8, Amazing. I miss HTC. That was like, that was peak HTC, I think. Yeah, M7, M8 was definitely peak HTC. I feel like M9, meh. Then there was the, the 10. After that, yeah. it went downhill pretty rapidly. Um, but hey, you know what? Like, we should make a list sometime. A bunch of us who've been doing this for a long time should get together, maybe on Slack or something, and make a list of what the top the top five phones. Like, for me, really, Ooh. like... Like that's hard, right? Like of all time, right? So like like, like smartphones. Let's let's do smartphones. Yeah. So for me, there's definitely that one of the you know Google Play edition, and probably the M8. And then there's definitely that OnePlus Seven Pro. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's so many others. Like, whew, maybe we should put that out on Twitter as a as a poll. That'd be a good poll. I mean, the you can go back as far as like the Sidekick. The sidekick. I mean, even the original Blackberries, some of the, like the curve, I think, as, yeah. you know, janky as it was two years in, initially was like, holy crap, this is a great phone. It's awesome. Some of those bolds, I mean, the Blackberry Pearl, there's a, there's oh, a lot of like good man. options there. Yeah. Oh, well, we could go down memories lane. Let's <laughs> let's talk about EVs before we, before we wrap up, okay. because there's a few pieces of news. You pointed one out that I thought was really cool. I completely missed this. That, as you know, you've owned Teslas and I own one. You still have one right now? I don't. Tesla, okay. Tesla free for uh, about a year. Oh, wow. Okay. So you did have a Model Y, right? And a Model 3 for a while. I, had a, I drove the original Model S, then a Model X, and then a Model 3. Okay. So you never had the Y. Okay. So anyway, the point is that I have a Model 3. I'm on my second Model 3. I had the original launch edition, whatever, rear-wheel drive, long-range and then I traded that in during COVID. It was amazing. I made more money than the car was worth. Like they actually gave me money <laughs> to move. trade in that car. Yeah. I traded in through Tesla and I got a lease this time instead of a purchase because initially you couldn't lease them. You can only purchase them. So I yeah. wanted to be an early adopter. So I purchased mine. But the one I have now is the 2021 model where they had just removed the radar. Right. Yep. So the reason I'm bringing it up because my my current one doesn't have the radar. My original one had the radar, and of course now it's a I've got a performance dual motor. But yep. the thing that's interesting is that 
at the time I was really kind of upset. Like I was like, cause I, when I ordered it, it still had the radar, right? And then when they delivered it to me, I didn't have the radar. And I was like, err. And of course, you know, this, some of the features weren't working as well. Like the top speed on autopilot was I think 75 for a while until yep. they went back to 80. And there's a bunch of limitations with the new Tesla Vision stuff. And so before we get to the article where supposedly they might be bringing radar back, I'm really kind of confused about what Tesla's doing here by removing, for example, the ultrasonic sensors and not actually having a solution yeah. in software to replace them somehow. Even, even that my gut tells me like, in the same way as my gut told me back in the day, that removing the ultrasonic sensors is a bad idea for the cost that they cost, and especially on a $50,000-plus car. And then removing the radar was also a bad idea. Like, they could have just put it in there and left it in there and said, you know what, when we may or may not use it with Tesla Vision. We'll see how it goes. But at least we have it, and now customers will be happy, right? I don't, I don't know. For those that are unfamiliar, I'm going to try to not editorialize any of this. Elon Musk and, and, and Tesla have been making a push for full self-driving for years. And right. it, has been, it has been delayed. And uh, going back now, almost five years ago, the claim was the cars had hardware to achieve full self-driving. Right. And then those parameters changed. You needed new hardware to, to make that happen. Uh, you needed radar to make that work. And ultimately, those ideas changed to go only to a vision-based system, rely just on cameras. And the thought was, humans, when they drive, are essentially relying just on cameras, our eyes, and then are processing our brain, what they're calling kind of a neural network. So the car should be able to do the same. A combination right. of cameras and processing on board, and then presumably in the cloud one day, we should be able to achieve the same level of driving um, that you can. Now, the caveat to that, and I think Elon even said this, and again, try not to editorialize, was the current state of radar wasn't great. No, it was pretty terrible. But if there ever was a, I don't know, I forgot what the terminology was, like a high-definition radar, that would be better than cameras. And it appears that that is what Tesla is getting ready to bringing back. Yeah. And we started to actually see, I don't know if you, don't know if you saw these, but uh, camoed front and back Model 3s, rumored for a design refresh, would probably right. include this new generation of radar, which who knows how much closer that's going to get us to the full self-driving, which seems you know, only a few months away for the past six years, five years. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting. It's interesting to see these being a very moving target for, for hardware and software for what cars can do and not do still inexcusable for Tesla's. You do not have 360 camera Throw that out there. Again. Oh my God. hundred percent. And you know, this is what bothers me the most is like, honestly, my autopilot experience is not worse than it was now that Tesla vision has been out for a couple of years. And I've, sure. you know, I don't notice the lack of radar. I think the only time when it might be nice to have even the old non high resolution radar was when it could bounce a beam under a car in front of it. That was cool. Pick up the that car. Was yeah. That happened to me once. And that was very cool. But I can think that's okay. But removing the ultrasonic sensors, here's the thing, like what your description was, we have two cameras, two eyes, and we use a neural network, our brain, to drive. But we all suck at not hitting things when we don't have <laughs> ultrasonic sensors in our cars. You're, you're, not, you're not wrong. Right? Like, I mean, I'm a pretty good driver, 
But, but, you know, having had like backup cameras and ultrasonic sensors in my cars have really changed the game in me and my confidence at not damaging a nice car that I own, uh, you know, cosmetically, of course, it's not going to damage sure. it in any significant way, but you, you know, like, I just don't like, I, I would really be okay. Do you want to take a bet that like, not a bet, really not officially a bet, but do you, <laughs> what is your thoughts that there's going to come back these ultrasonic sensors? I think they will. I think, I think they're in their head. They can make do without them if they change the configuration. If there's a big blind spot, they need spot to add a camera the on the front. Yeah, they need to. Yeah, add a there's camera a huge blind the spot on the front. They put a camera in the front, then ultrasonic will not come back. If they, for some reason, refuse to do that, then I definitely think ultrasonic will come back. And if they put a camera in the front and the bumper, then we can get 360 view on top of that. It's a, it's a twofer, you know, hundred percent. Haven't they said that they could do three? Elon said they could do three sixty with. Well, like, so yes, because here's the thing, weird. right? Like, so so imagine you're the car has no idea of its surrounding. You turn on the cameras; it looks at the world around it. Like it's got the what are the two, one, two, three, four, five, six cameras, seven cameras, yeah. whatever it is, and it sees the world around it. Now imagine you back up a bit. Now it can create a map and includes what's in front of it, right? Because it can see, and so. Now it has a persistence in its neural net of that, like we humans yeah. do. The problem is that if next time you start the car, if somebody put a garbage can there yes. and it's right Done. below the bumper, it's not going to see it. And when you go forward, it's not going to, it's not going to stop. So you still ideally need your camera in the front bumper, but all the other cameras I think are fine. So I don't know what Tesla's yeah. going to do about it. Uh, it drives me nuts. And it, it's interesting. I mean, I, I love talking about this. this is why I want to bring this up with you. I, I love talking EVs with you. And you see Tesla, the whole EV industry exists because of Tesla. I think you have to pay 100%. respect Yep. You know where to do. And Tesla's charging infrastructure is, is unmatched. I mean, it's not, even a, it's not even close. But I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you that to me, that's the thing that keeps me going back. When, the reason I went back to Tesla, like I love some of the other cars out there. And I would buy them in a heartbeat, but I do a lot of long distance traveling. Like I'll go from Vancouver to San Francisco. I need some charging network that works and is available and is not overwhelmed like it is right now for the rest of the cars. Yeah. I mean, you can't rely on Electrify America or EVgo or any of those. No. But if you don't do that, you know, road trips or you're willing to plan around it and you do most of your charging at home and you're not yeah. relying on the supercharging network, the other EV space is getting oh my God. crazy good. Like crazy it's amazing. good now. So you had a lucid air for a while. I did. I had a lucid air you know, for about six months. One of my favorite cars of all time, simply because it's amazing to me that a car that is that big and heavy can drive the way it drives. Like it's one of the best handling, best driving EVs and cars I've ever driven. Yeah. Six, 6,000 pound sedan. It's a beast. It's insane. And it doesn't even have air suspension. I just don't know how they did it. It's just crazy to me. It was. It was, an it was an incredible car. I, I loved every second of driving it. Uh, I'm excited to revisit it again because the software was not quite ready to be in well, driver's that's, hands. Well, that's true. I remember experiencing it myself. I had yeah. the car for a few days uh, from the press fleet. Yeah, so my car is an R1T, and my wife just got her uh, R1S about three weeks ago. Oh, sweet. So you guys are dual Rivians right now. Amazing. We're, we're a full, full electric, full Rivian family. I love my R1T. I've got about 12,000 miles on it in six months. It has been perfect. 
flawless. Nothing about this car feels like a first car from a new company. I, it has been incredible. So I again borrowed one from the Flash Fleet, and I it blew my mind. Like I'm not a pickup truck person, but I wanted a pickup after that. Yeah. Like because it drives like a car, and and a f- supercar at that, and it's so practical. And you know, Theo and I were talking the other day, like, so what are we doing after the Tesla lease is up? I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I'll buy a Rivian. <laughs> you know, it's like, for me to say that I want a pickup truck, like, I don't think I'd want the SUV, honestly. I just want the pickup. But at the same time, they've done such a good job and the software is much more polished and finalized and lucid. Yes. And it's just an incredibly versatile vehicle. And I just love the way it drives. I love the way it's, you know, designed as well. And overall, the experience is pretty amazing. There's one thing yeah, about it, all these yeah. EVs that I don't like, though, that are not Teslas, besides the charging network infrastructure. And that's nobody's got Netflix on the screen. Like, come <laughs> on. Like that's that, that. Listen, that's that's fair. Uh, down to Rivian's credit, they did say that things like that are coming. And okay, uh, good. I do want to say the difference between driving a Rivian and the Lucid. Lucid tried to put everything, a lot of things from get go into the software and a lot of it just didn't work. Now, from what I understand, that software has been vastly improved um, and a lot of those issues don't exist. Rivian initially delivered a minimal experience, not that much in there, but it all worked really well. Exactly. And then they've been really diligent every month pushing out updates that are adding, you know, that are adding new features and useful new features. We've got Neil mode now, pet mode um, came in. Um, new music options are coming in kind of regularly. So there's been the, the gap is still pretty big with sort of the software front with Tesla offers versus the competition, but month by month is getting slowly narrower. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. And that's been my experience uh, driving these cars as well. I'm super excited about Lucid and Rivian in particular, but if I had to look at the mainstream car makers right now, the you know established car makers that are trying to make EVs, there are a few standouts. Um, yeah, and I want to bring them up. So the first one I'm going to bring up is Hyundai Kia, the the group oh, crushing of it. Koreans they are crushing it. If right now, if I have to recommend an EV to someone who doesn't need an extensive charging network and wants to not spend too much money but wants to get great value in terms of like a well, like you know, like like the Nothing Phone we talked about earlier, well balanced all around, good range, good performance, good software, good hardware, everything is well done design everything it's to me it's hyundai and kia with the ionic 5 and the upcoming ionic 6 and the ev6 and they just uh i think the ev6 gt first drives are starting to pop up and it's a rocket ship i'm not surprised because we're also going to get a hyundai ionic 5n which is going to be the the sports model what i'm really looking forward to and what i'm thinking will be my next ev especially if the infrastructure improves in the next two years, is going to be the Ionic 6N. So not the 5, but the super sleek sedan and the N model, like the performance model, because it's either that or I'm going to spend a lot of money and get like a Porsche Taycan used or something, because that's another incredible EV, but the range isn't there. No, it's not. And Mach-E is a great... Also a relatively affordable EV if you want, uh, especially yep. the GT model. And then, uh, you know, Volkswagen, eh, not that exciting. Although the ID Buzz, the bus is pretty cool. It looks great. It looks great and it drives well. 
It's just the software. Their software is way behind. I think that's getting, I think their software is getting updated to their 3.1 update was pretty big. Yeah. I did want to, I did want to ask you a question and like, I really wanted to hear your answer. Have you driven the Hummer EV yet? The truck? No, that's one of the ones I have not driven yet. So I don't have a point of reference there. I, I came in. So we had a chance to drive. I think we had it for a week and I came in with very low expectations. This thing is six inches wider than an Escalade. It is <laughs> built like a house. I expected to have a lot of disdain for this just nuts EV. Miriam, I loved every second of this thing. It had no <laughs> business driving as well as it drove. That's what it a was, lot of people are saying. It was so much fun. I mean, I felt ridiculous getting in and out of it um, and, and parking it. But it was so much fun. And I guess that's when you get it in the world now where EVs can be in your face, ostentatious from and a Hummer at that. I think you've really reached like mainstream EVness. But you've touched on something that I think is what a lot of people don't understand unless they experience an EV, whether they drive a Hyundai Ioniq 5 or a Hummer EV, right? It's EVs are changing the game and the way the car experience feels. They are. Like you, you, no matter which EV you get, even like a simple basic rear wheel drive model, like entry level $42,000 Hyundai Ioniq 5, you're going to get so much more torque and performance and better driving dynamics because of the low center of gravity than anything else and if you go off-road like say with a rivian or you know a hummer ev instantly you get like much better off-road performance because of all the, the the fine control at each corners of the you know wheel spin and torque it's it's a game changer in terms of driving experience no matter what and I think that is what I think people are most surprised by. And, you know, you kind of went into it like I would go into it with the Hummer of like, you know, <laughs> big monster SUV, right? Like heavy, yep. you know, and slow, not slow. We knew it was going to be slow because of the numbers, but it's until you get into it and you realize it's as easy to drive as a Model 3, basically, and yeah. it drives just as fast as a performance Model 3, it's when you realize that EVs are completely different animals. And yeah. this is what I'm excited about going forward, is that a skateboard platform, no matter which company makes the platform, is basically the, the starting point for anything. You can build a microbus, you can build a sprinter yep. van, you can build a, like, two-door like there's rumors of porsche making a boxster electric soon a two-door oh, yeah. convertible you know you can make a sedan an suv a pickup truck and they're all going to be awesome you just basically pick your design choice on top of it and you know a lot of people are afraid of that because they're like well the experience is going to be you know boring because everybody's going to have the same kind of I don't think that's true like you can no, fine tune the software the the drivetrain software so much that you can give the car different personalities I it's I completely amazing. I completely agree and I just, I can't wait for you to, to to drive one of these I'm really curious what your what your thoughts are on it <laughs> I will try it out at some point um I want to give a quick uh hat tip to Mercedes for being one of the big older companies like Ford to do this transition properly. You know, the the EQS might not be the prettiest car, but that the technology in that car is very good. Uh, the EQE, the sedan particularly, is a much more nimble, much more pleasant to drive package because it's a smaller, lighter car. Sure. And uh, when that comes to the US, I think it'll be very exciting. And then of course, you know, 
I have to mention BMW because even though the only bespoke from the ground up EV they have is the iX, which is not for everyone. That car drives really well. But Oof, more just don't look at it from right? the front. It's tough, right? But here's the thing. Here's the thing that blew my mind the most about BMW is the i4, which is built on the same platform as the 4 Series yep. Grand Coupe. So it shares platforms. So it's not optimized to be an EV. And in terms of packaging, you know, there's not as much inside room as like a Model 3 or whatever. You can see the packaging is compromised. But man, John, does it drive like stink. Holy crap. I have said this before, and I'm probably going to get crucified for it again, (laughs) but I think it drives better than the M series, the M cars from BMW. That's a tall order. That like, is a tall if you were giving order. me the keys to an M4, you know, or the four, the i4 M50, the the top line yeah. fastest electric i4, I would take the i4, 100%. No contest. That's where we're at, guys. So you know, <laughs> think about that. But um, the other thing I also want to bring up is, you know, we're gonna see some really cool cars in the next few years. Yes. I'm yes, not yes. sure we're going to see the prices go down as rapidly as people would like. And I think that's going to be a problem. But here's the thing to keep in mind. There's going to start being a lot of used EVs, right? Like there's yep. a lot of used Nissan Leafs today. Not, not the most exciting EV, but the point is they exist. So imagine what's going to happen three or four years from now when you start getting Ionic 5s used and EV6s used and Ford Mac E's used, you know? And I think the other thing that's really exciting too is the F-150 Lightning in the sense that yes. it is completely just an F-150. That happens to be electric. So if you that was are, the best move they could have made, it's a total gateway drug. Like if you give that to some, you know, dude in Kansas to try out, they're going to be blown away by how fast and handling and performance and everything. But it still feels and drives like an F one fifty, which is what they're used to. And I think that might be what converts them over once the charging infrastructure is better or if they're just using it around the farm and they can charge in the shed kind of thing, you know? Like Completely agree. To me, we're living at the most exciting time in a way in cars because EVs are going to allow us to do completely crazy things that we couldn't do before. And hopefully we can get the price down when the battery's density is higher and the cost goes down because I want to really see some of the cars that are coming from China to Europe, you know, obviously the Chinese makers are going to have a hard time selling cars in, in, in the U S but in Europe, they're starting to sell these like 150, 200 mile range, small cars, like little, you know, size of a Nissan Versa or Honda, like Honda fit, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. That are EVs that have all the technology drive really well, have everything you expect but are only limited in range because of the smaller battery. But for Europe, it really works. I want to see more of that here because I want people that have a budget of $25,000 to be able to go buy a brand new EV. That doesn't suck. And you're going to say, well, there's a Bolt EV right now. That's the cheapest one in the US. And it's not sucky, but it's also not sexy. Whereas these little Chinese runabouts are kind of cute and fun, you know? And that's kind of what I think is going to be interesting in the next few years. Listen, and the, and the bolts won't blow up anymore when you charge them. So, I mean, that's exciting. Yeah, they fixed that somehow, apparently. Yeah, yeah, they, they, <laughs> that seems important. I mean, look, we got to give them credit for at least being there early on, even if they had some growing pains, because sure. a lot of companies just didn't believe and 
GM at least believed, you know? I mean, I feel like growing, I feel like growing pains are like maybe the software is not so good, but like cars exploding in garages. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's like a uh, big one. That's a big one for sure. That was a big, a it's a big growing pain. But look, they gave us the Hummer EV and that's not blowing up in garages. So. I agree. And th- that, that was their last car that wasn't based on their Ultium platform too, in all fairness. So they've, that whole Correct. architecture is, is done uh, after yeah. the bolt. Yeah. Anyway, we should probably wrap up. Where can people find you on the internet, John? Uh, you can just search me, John Rettinger, uh, J-O-N-R-E-T-T-I-N-G-E-R. I'm all over all the things, talking about tech and usually tweeting something about sports. And more importantly, you have a YouTube channel. Come on, pimp it out. I do. I do. YouTube.com slash John for Lakers. That's where all my video content uh, lives. Yeah, folks, check out the channel. Really good content like this M2 Pro iPad versus Surface 9 Pro. I thought that was a really cool idea to make a comparison video. Yeah. And folks, you know where to find me? I'm at Tankgirl on Twitter, Instagram. That's T-N-K-G-R-L, like the comic book character Drop the Vowels. If you want to chat about this podcast with me and John, hit us up on Twitter. If you want to see pretty pictures of phones and cars and travel and food, check out my Instagram, also at Tankgirl, T-N-K-G-R-L. I take most of my photos with phones because that's what i like can i throw you a shout out here on that I, i've reached sure. out to you privately i think your photos of cars are amongst the best of any photojournalists that i've seen and I, i've we have documentation that i actually mean this i've sent you this message offline miriam's photos of cars are unbelievable uh and unbelievably well done just from an artistic standpoint and then you get to see the actual car itself so i would definitely give give a follow Wow, I'm flattered. Well, thank you so much, John. That was uh, very kind of you. I do like taking photos of cars and it's hard when I think about it a lot, but it's definitely something. You know, product photography in general is something that I really enjoy. So cars are just a very big product. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I have to say, I have to give credit to Samsung for making the S22 Ultra and 21 Ultra and 20 Ultra before that, because I need those levels of zoom. Sometimes the photos you see are me literally standing... 200 yards down the road on a rock (laughs) and getting that kind of like, you know, perspective, because that's the only way I'm going to get the right. And uh, you can't really do that unless you have a 10X zoom. So I'm actually going to try to use a Pixel 7 Pro to take more of my car photos now that it has a really good kind of longer range zoom, because I find myself pulling away and taking tighter shots that way more than I do close up shots of cars. Yeah. But we should tell you where the podcast lives. And it lives at mobiletechpodcast.com. We're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, everywhere good podcasts can be found. So please subscribe. And if your app lets you rate or review the show, please consider doing that. That would be pretty awesome. Then, of course, there's a couple of YouTube channels of my own. They're not even remotely in the same league as John does. But I have youtube.com slash mobiletechpodcast and youtube.com slash mobiletechmore. Both of these are supplements to the podcast with some visuals, some of the phones I get my hands on and other devices, basically unboxings and little kind of like, you know, show and tell videos. So check it out. Like, subscribe, tell your friends, click the little bell. You know how YouTube works. Comment, all that. The first channel is really about the phones, the wearables and the personal audio. And the other one is more about like car stuff and travel stuff and home automation and weird things that I find basically. Both of them are not super 
productive in terms of content right now, but I'm trying to change that. So suggestions, perhaps in the comments, I would love that. And finally, there's Patreon, patreon.com slash tankgirl. That's patreon.com slash tnkgrl. If you want to help me out financially, this is a way to do it. You get uh, a bunch of options. One of them is to get this on a video ahead of the audio public version. So if you want to watch me and John instead of listen to us and you know, get maybe a little more content because sometimes I leave some extra stuff in there and definitely get, you know, less edits. This is the way to go. And then there is a Discord server you can join to chat with me and there's a bunch of other tiers. Check it out. It's pretty affordable and it will definitely help me out. So I'd appreciate you thinking about that. Also, if you don't want to use Patreon, there's a PayPal link in the show notes. You can click through, buy me a $5 coffee because I'm a bit of a coffee addict, so I'll appreciate it. And then I want to thank our sponsor, Audible. Audible has been with us since the early days and they're pretty amazing. If you like books like I do, you like reading, but you know, you're in front of the computer all day or you're a delivery driver doing your rounds for UPS or FedEx or something, and you need to listen instead because you just, you know, it's just easier. They're the platform. They're the audiobook platform. They're the one. So I love them for that because I'm a bookworm, but I am just end up listening a lot with my earbuds and my headphones. It's just delightful. So check it out. They have a huge selection of books, of course. Some of the books are read by the authors. They have some shorter content. They have some exclusive content, like some podcasts even. It's just a really great platform if you like to read, but you want to listen instead. So check out Audible, and we have a special deal for you, Audible trial.com slash mobile tech is the url that gives you a 30-day free trial and you get to keep a book at the end if you stay so check that out audibletrial.com slash mobile tech and i want to thank audible for being our longtime sponsor and john thank you for being my guest yet again always my pleasure uh let's not make it two years though between here and the next one Okay, deal. We'll make it happen sooner. I'll have you on before that. And folks, you know I'll have another show next week. So stay tuned for that. Until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.